this God that we've chosen to serve? What would he have us do with our time here on earth? What is our calling? Aren't these among the more compelling questions we ask ourselves as believers? I want to explore them with you this morning using stories as a tool. Stories stick with us after they've been told. So they're perfect for the short time we have together this morning. We'll focus on an epic parable of courageous kindness told by the storyteller of storytellers. And I'll conclude by asking you to think about two other well-known narratives and consider how it might all fit together. Okay, so one day when Jesus is teaching, he gets into a discussion with the lawyer about the essence of the scriptures. They agree on the bottom line, love God and love your prójimo. The lawyer presses him further, who is my prójimo? Here's where Jesus replies with the parable of the good Samaritan who saved the dying man on the side of the road when no one else would and at a significant cost to himself. At the end, Jesus asks the lawyer a question with an obvious answer. Which of these was a prohimo to the dying man? And then he challenges, go and do likewise. So I threw a Spanish word into my summary, and while I do want to give the caveat that I'm no Bible scholar, here's one thing that I love about just being a bilingual believer. Familiar passages become fresh. You get new insights when you notice the translator's word choices. Um, the Spanish word prójimo does not describe the person living next to you. That word would be vecino. My prójimo is the person brought near to me, regardless of where they live or where they're from. So who is God bringing into my sphere of influence? And am I responding with engagement or apathy? It's clear from the text that being a prohimo requires radical investment. The Samaritan goes way out of his way to give his time, his emotional energy, and his money in taking care of this stranger. The prohimo does not look at the guy on the side of the road and say, hmm, could be a scam. You know, I haven't had it so easy myself. Do you know I was beaten and left for dead once and no one found a donkey for me? I had to get my own dying butt to Jericho. Let him pull himself up by his bootstraps like I did. It'll make him stronger. Tough love. You know, everybody knows these roads are so dangerous. Why would he have even been here alone in the first place? I'm sorry, but that's asking for it. You reap what you sow. I don't know about you, but I hear variations on these themes all the time in our country, at our school, in my church, in my family, even in my own head. Well, if she had been faithful to her husband, she wouldn't be in this messy divorce right now. If his parents had come the right way into the country, he'd be getting federal loans to pay for college. Turns out, it's easy to talk yourself out of being compassionate. And in choosing judgment over mercy, we ignore Jesus' mandate to be a prohimo. And we also show our ignorance. We're judging her for her affair without knowing what emotional abuse she suffered in her marriage. 
And we're looking down on undocumented immigrants, but failing to recognize that there are no legal avenues for most people to get here these days. And here's the thing. A person's circumstances won't make it ethical to cheat on a spouse or lawful to come into the country undocumented, but it doesn't matter why someone ends up suffering on the side of the road. If they're there and I see them, they are my prójimo and I'm theirs. So who is it that I'm quick to judge and slow to love? And how do I spend my time, effort, energy, emotion, resources? I think back to two friends I had in high school. They came to my youth group for several years, casual acquaintances, we hung out on occasion, and they came to my church visibly hungry for Jesus, searching for someone to invest in them. And even though the seed took root, when they heard the gospel, the soil was left unfertilized and they withered away. No one even noticed when they stopped attending. A few years ago, Troy and Dougie were killed in the Middle East, fighting on the side of Islamic terrorists. I guess they found people to invest in them. And although I know that no one else can be held responsible for the evil path that these young men took. I can't help but wonder, what if these kids had come to my church and found someone to fight for them, to disciple them? I'm certainly not blaming anyone at my church. People fall through the cracks all the time. We're spread very thin. We're busy with good and worthy commitments. Prayer groups, Bible studies, school, friends, family, jobs, internships. I get that. Yet, I wonder how does that fit with Jesus' illustration of the Good Samaritan who put the brakes on his life and devoted himself to this person that he didn't even know. The Samaritan, for well, for all the Samaritan knew, the man on the side of the road could have been a murderer. He could have been the one who attacked someone and got the snot kicked out of him. But that didn't matter, because just by being in his proximity, that made him the prochimo, by definition. Jesus asks us to be fishers of men. How can we put more fibers in the fabric of our net, shrink those holes so that fewer people fall through the cracks unnoticed? We need more people, more fibers, more prochimos in strategic places diverse places. This God I've chosen to serve is one who would have me walking alongside people who are different from me. And that's my big C calling. Regardless of whether you are studying to become an accountant or an artist, it's your calling too. God is using ministries like SALT, like Living Hope, and our Tuesday evening tutoring at Pacto de Victoria to bring diverse prochimos into your proximity so that you can bless and be blessed. Where are you showing the sacrificial care of a prochimo? So the Samaritan is the clear hero of that story. But if Jesus had written the novel-length version, I wonder what we would have seen in the future for these two men. Would the dying man have ever had anything to offer the Samaritan? Anytime we engage with another person, there's this invisible exchange that takes place. Maybe we can't articulate or quantify what we get 
when we share the moments of our life with someone, but if we're quiet enough in our spirits, we learn and benefit even from people who seem to have nothing to offer. Maybe you think you have nothing to offer. It's not true. I sat by my husband's bedside for months while he lay comatose, mostly dead, and I was inspired by him. And in his unconscious presence, our son witnessed strength and learned that a family who's lost their address isn't homeless as long as they're together. And even if my husband had never woken up, if God had chosen not to heal him, my son and I would have cherished every moment spent with his soul and been better for them. Maybe you've held a tiny baby and felt moved or had the solemn privilege of being with a loved one as they've passed from this life to the next. Only the most eloquent among us could describe what we get from their presence in those moments, but we all feel it. Maybe you think you have nothing to offer, but I bet you have more than a guy in a coma. It's rather poetic the way the Bible pairs loving God with loving our prokimo. Of course, it makes sense that the more fully we give ourselves over to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the better we will love our prokimo because that's the heart of God. God is love. We read it in 1 John. But being a prokimo to the other can help us know God more fully too. There's an ancient Indian tale widely applied to various philosophical and theological ideas that I'm sure you've heard in one form or another. One version tells about six blind men who went to see this unusual animal, the elephant, and each was exposed to a different part of the animal's anatomy, and each drew conclusions about the animal based on his limited exposure. The one who had felt the trunk insisted that the elephant was like a snake, while another who had felt only the leg said it was like a tree. Still another who had felt the tusk described the elephant as spear-like, and so on. They argued, exasperated, for the rest of their days about what the great elephant was truly like, each thinking he really knew. Think about how that applies to us and our prokimo, particularly when there are fellow believers. Do we work together to interpret scripture, understand God and his creation, or are we closed off to our prokimo's point of view because we already know we're right? Here at Northwestern, we state during convocation that we respect differences, but focus on our bond in Christ. Being a non-denominational school, we have some impressive variety as far as Christian institutions of higher education go. We have differently abled people of every skin tone from many countries and cultures, all the tax brackets, people old and young from different denominations, people from the city, from the country, islanders, desert people, liberals, conservatives, Democrats, Republicans. We even have cloakers. <laughs> is, it, is it enough to say we respect that we're all different? I don't really think so. We need to tease those differences out, capitalize on them. Not assimilation, not conformity, but vulnerability and authenticity. We are trying to know an infinite God and make him known to every nation, tribe, tongue, right? 
You need different people to work together for that. But vulnerability and authenticity are not so easy to attain, especially within diverse groups. There's a story we read in my Latin American short stories class. And by the way, if you can read and write in Spanish, I would love to have you in this course. It fulfills the core curriculum's lit requirements. So there's a story we read, the drama of the disenchanted man. It tells of a man who hurls himself off the top of his apartment building and while falling, glances through the windows of his vecinos and he sees that their lives are far from perfect. This shocks him because the reports of their struggles never made it to the common stairwell. Can you picture this apartment building, these locked apartment doors joined only by a shared staircase? Well, before hitting the pavement, the disenchanted man realizes that his problems are not unusual. Life actually does seem to be worth living, warts and all. How telling that although he had many vecinos, not one prójimo appeared to be counted among them. So where is our common stairwell and what news is making it there or not? Are our common areas dominated by shallow and impersonal observations on Instagram where we spotlight carefully selected facets of our lives? Or do we have shared spaces where we can bring our whole selves? And for those who do have such precious places, how diverse are they in terms of ideology, race, age? Is there room for growth? Realize that we won't have true diversity that's going to benefit us as the body of Christ if we welcome people who are different from us with short-sighted smiles saying, so glad you're here. Now be like us, okay? I'm a knuckle, Jim's a knuckle, Jane's a knuckle, Justin's a knuckle. No matter that you're, well, a nose, just take your place right here next to Jocelyn, follow our lead, and you'll fit right in. That's absurd, you guys, and yet that's often what we do, lining up all sorts of different body parts on a spiritual fist, teaching them to be knuckles, and calling it diversity. Yes, but that's so superficial and empty. That's not how the body of Christ is going to work, and that's not going to help us know God more fully. He's way bigger than a group of knuckles can imagine alone. So I'm running out of time, but I hope that you'll process these narratives and expand your horizons. Be a prójimo where it might feel intimidating or uncomfortable to you. Help create authentic spaces where eclectic groups of prójimos can be genuine. Maybe the first step is making a friend on the Northwestern shuttle, or visiting a Somali community, or taking a Chinese class here in the fall. It's important that it be different for each one of us. That's how God will create that fine mesh net, shrink the holes, and will fully function as the body of Christ. May he bless us all as we strive as one very complex body to courageously care for our prokimo and authentically come together in the common stairwell to describe. Thank you. I love consuming media. I mean, I love it. I love TV. I mean, the World Series has been terrific. It's been enjoyable to watch. Look forward to Game 7 tonight. I love radio and the different formats, music, reading the newspaper. Love watching movies. 
when the extended version of Lord of the Rings came out. A friend and I got together, watched all three of them in one day. 682 minutes. Eight in the morning till nine at night. It was epic. And now, we, you know, once a year, we, we, we actually go watch movies, and we spend all day just watching a movie. And sometimes we go up north and go fishing, but our wives have kind of caught on, and they basically realized that fishing is just another term for us to go watch more movies. But the American culture, we love consuming media. We are a media-saturated culture. Can't live without it. According to Nielsen, we take in more than 10 hours of media a day. 10 hours a day. And we do it in seven and a half hours. Excuse me, 10 hours of media per day, and we do it in seven and a half hours. I mean, that's a lot. Consuming media is, you know, not, not necessarily a bad thing, though. I mean, but the message, that, of course, is another matter. We do need to be discerning. We pray before meals, but do we pray before watching? Ask ourselves, what are we cheering to succeed? Pirates of the Caribbean. You guys familiar with this movie? Have you seen it? It's a fun movie, right? There are people, you know, rollicking through the Caribbean, right? These pirates. What are we rooting for in that movie? We're rooting for pirates. What do pirates do? They, they do bad things, right? They rape and pillage. Like we're rooting for pirates. But it's okay, they're fighting the British. So we'll be okay. It's fine. So we are consumers. But as Christians, we are more than consumers. We're producers. We produce. We're not just watching stuff. We are making it. We Snapchat, we Instagram. We Facebook, we text, we email, we share videos, we make memes on UNW dudes, whatever. We live in an unprecedented time. You know that because I just said UNW dudes from the stage. It's a very exciting time. We can communicate across the globe in seconds. We have lots of opportunity and so much responsibility. We have each become little media companies is really what we are. We have an online brand and our posts reflect who we are. So when we post, what are we saying? Does it, does it really matter? Do you ever think about that? A few years ago, I was reading uh, 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11, and it really just hit home. It says, as each received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, to be a trophimo, right? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him, we, uh, to him belong glory and dominion forever. So we each have a gift. So we have to use it, right? As good stewards of God's varied grace. And whoever speaks, we speak the oracles of God. The oracles of God. We are the mouthpiece of God. He's placed us on this earth to be his mouthpiece. We speak the oracles of God through Christ who lives in us. And of course, whoever serves is one who serves in the strength supplied by God. So we speak and serve so that God might be glorified and may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We preach Christ crucified. In him, we proclaim in word and deed. So if you're online, or just doing about anything. You are a Christian media producer. Or if you pr prefer a media producer who happens to be Christian. We are called to make his name known. 
unashamedly, clearly, boldly, in whatever level of communication you use? Where's the thread of the gospel in what you say? I mean, it's not a question if you are a media producer for the gospel. You already are a media producer for the gospel. I mean, communication is a gift from God, is it not? In Genesis, God spoke the world into existence, and he created us in his image. And one of the ways that God created us in his image is that we can speak and write things down. We get to create, to speak, to produce. We are little creators created in his image to have dominion, to produce. We are more than consumers. We are producers. We do stuff. We are not idle. And what we produce, what we say and do, provides the primary means in which people can encounter God. Now this week we've been drawing on Hunter's book to change the world. He kind of wonders why the world hasn't really changed that much. You know, we've tried all these strategies. But the goal is not to change the world. As much as we want to change the world and we want the world to change, and we should try, but it's not up to us. Changing the world is up to God. He equips us to change the world. Our goal is to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your prójimo. And then we go. We are called to stay faithful to that. We are producers. And even if you're not like a big online social media person, that's, that's fine. But you, you know, when I say producer, you're like doing things. You do stuff. You communicate. You speak and write things. I mean, we're all here. We're taking Bible classes and whatever your major is. So we get to pursue Christ and pursue our craft. That's what we do. Pursue Christ and pursue our craft. And that's how Hunter would say that we are having this faithful presence. That's how we can be excellent. To be excellent is to be faithful. To find excellence through that attribute of God. Just go for it. I mean, proclaim Christ crucified, whether explicit or implicit. You can be explicitly, implicitly explicit. Just go for it. I've been uh, working on a documentary, a film about the life of Harold Salem. He's a 96-year-old pastor um, from Aberdeen, South Dakota. Graduated from Northwestern in 1944. Yeah, he loved the teaching of Robert L. Moyer. And so they told him to preach the word in and out of season. Trust the Lord all the time and be faithful. And that's what he's been doing for 73 years. Along the way, he started a TV show in 1978 called The Christian Worship Hour. It's this hour-long program. Just shot in the corner of his tiny little studio. I mean, it's, I mean, it is no frills. The show will never win an Emmy, ever, by no stretch of the imagination. But the word of God is preached every week, faithfully. And God has blessed them. They reach 90% of the world from Aberdeen. You know, can anything good come from Nazareth or Aberdeen? But at 96, he's still doing the show. He's 96, and he's still doing the show. He once said he broke his leg, and he said, I broke my leg, but I didn't break my mouth. As long as my mouth works, I'm going to preach. That's kind of how he talks. He's a funny guy. I mean, he just keeps working to the end. He says, I'm going to retire three days before my funeral. He's going to go to the ends of the earth from what I thought was the ends of the earth. But he humbly just proceeds and does his thing. And my hope is that you always look for ways to proclaim the glory of God and the hope for mankind that is found in Christ Jesus. All communication, regardless of medium, 
should be guided by and grounded in principles from the word of God and a deep, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's producing. It's also the beginning of the philosophy of media for Northwestern, written in 2008. It's not about Jesus per minutes and just, you know, throwing Bible verses out there and bonking people over the head with them. And, and, you know, sometimes people do need that. Um, But it's our heart and our pursuit of Christ. I mean, you can only share what you have, all that you are. In other words, as we tell our stories and contextualize our lives, don't just try to please or entertain people. You can certainly use an entertaining style, but have the gospel just sort of naturally weaved in the conversation. According to Francis Schaeffer, you can't preach Christianity without content. The biblical message, the good news, is a good news of content. Or as Romans 10 would say it, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So, what do we do? Well, we can read the word. Read the word. And Sinclair Ferguson once said, let the word of God dwell in you so richly that you cannot speak with any other accent. We can memorize the word or find those passages that memorize you. You know when you just read something and you just instantly know it? It's like it was meant for you. Pay attention to what you consume. Pay attention to what you produce. Pay attention to why you produce it. Everything we do and say has value. So why do you do Facebook? Well, you do it to give glory to God. Why Twitter? Ultimately, to make God's name known. Why blog? You do it because you are God's ambassador. Why write a paper for Dr. Sickler? Well, you know, he asked you to. I mean, why would you not? You, you got to do it. But, uh, you know, if God ordains the A, as Grudem once said, you still got to do the work. That's why you do that. We are producers. We are created in God's image to create, to do things, say things, write things. You know, we started building the student radio studios in the Mel Johnson Media Center June 2003. I read from Charles Spurgeon that day as we kind of gathered to pray to begin wiring everything. And Spurgeon writes, there is no ideal place for us to serve God except the place he sets us down. We maybe do grunt work and menial tasks But in all works of faith, we can count upon the fellowship of Jesus. It's when we're in his works that we can reckon upon his smile. Seek the smile of Christ. That's where joy is. And this is not something we have to do. You don't have to do any of this. You don't have to do it. You don't. But we get to. We get to do this, right? It's a miracle that Christ has caused us to believe in him. It's an absolute miracle. And you have a great story to tell. Our communication is called to be a fragrant offering to the Lord. So tell your story. Sometimes it's really hard. You know, we have this great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can help us. I mean, and there will be conflict. But doesn't every great story have conflict? We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus has overcome. We know the ending. He will carry us through. He leaves nothing unfinished. 32 years ago, I was in college. San Diego State University. Yeah, San Diego State University down here. I understand. San Diego, why'd you leave? Um, But here I was, fall 1985. I was a disaster. A disaster. I was busy failing three classes in one semester. Three! I was truly fulfilling my life verse, which is Proverbs 30, verse 2. I'm too stupid to be called a man. It's in there. You can look it up. In fact, I think in my college career at that point, I think I'd, I, had, I had one A, intermediate softball. 
and it was an A minus. How do you do that? Did I swing and miss? I don't know. Um, so anyway, I left school, had a full-time job. I was a film major attuned to radio, basically because I didn't like setting up lights. And I said I would work any format, but I would never work Christian, and I would never work country. Of course, I took a full-time job country music, spent most of my career in that field, and I probably had the most success I've ever had while I was in Seattle as a promotion director. I won the Top Country Promotion Award uh, in the U.S. two years in a row, and I received a nomination from Billboard magazine for Promotion Director of the Year. I mean, professionally, I was killing it. I mean, it was awesome. I was doing really great. By all definitions, I was excellent. But I was a disaster. I was a mess. I was not faithful. But God, being rich in mercy, intervened. He changed my heart. Maybe a, maybe a new producer. He made an everlasting covenant that he would never stop doing good for me. And he put the fear of him in my heart so it would never turn from him. He made known the paths of life and in his presence is fullness of joy. He actually fired me from a job in Sacramento after that so that I could finish college and realize who my wife would be. We just celebrated 25 years last month. God directed my path. He kept me from being idle, from being a non-producer. Doing mornings at a station here in Twin Cities, I talked about Jesus a few times. A few times, and once I got pulled into the office and said, "You know, stop doing that. We're not here to gain. We're here, we're here to gain listeners, not souls." I said, "Okay, sure, whatever." Once a friend of mine asked, "What's next after radio?" I said, "I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do after that. I'm going to, you know, maybe teach." But I don't know how that's going to happen. I have no idea. I have no advanced degree. I have no teaching credential. Barely graduated from college. The only way that that's going to happen is if God makes it happen. And he did. Six years after that conversation, I started at Northwestern in the fall of 2001. Been here 17 years. Nothing thwarts the Lord. You may not think the ending is going to be what it is, but he carries you through. He takes you through. We faithfully pursue him, and he directs our paths. And even as we fail, we consume too much or produce very little, we can repent and Christ will forgive. He is loving. When we pray to remain faithful, we can look back and say, look what the Lord has done. We're glad. Andrew Peterson is one of my favorite singer, singers, he's a songwriter, and he writes that he never once has regretted proclaiming the gospel of Christ. It is only when he's strayed away from that one luminous topic that he wishes he said less. No person, when they come to die, will say they spoke too much of the grace of God. Let Satan accuse me of that. I welcome it. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this day and being able to proclaim you. Give us the courage to be able to do that. Help us to be a good prohimo. Help us to love you with all our heart and love our neighbor. And um, ask that you be with us and that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart always be acceptable in your sight. And I pray this in your matchless name, in the name of Jesus.